Matthew chapter 2, I apologize for that, verses 13 through 23 is where we want to begin today. The value of preaching through a book is that you can read ahead, and I hope you have read it frequently and diligently and examined it for its message. For this is God's word to us, and always with profound purpose. But in the text, and I ask you if you would to think about the outline of this text, and this is the outline that I'm suggesting, but let's look at the text and see the words it says. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, when they had gone, the wise men, the magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Egypt. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill... What was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now in this text, you see some things that are common to each of these sections, or some that appear more than once. For example, the name of Herod is found all through this, four times. In the text, the word fulfill or fulfilled is used three times with an Old Testament passage quoted or in one case, a kind of summary of an idea from the Old Testament. 
you see an angel mentioning, an angel mentioned, and an angel appearing to Joseph in a dream. And you see a reference to the child and his mother some four times throughout the text. But let's just look at the text first and let's just see what does it say. But the Magi had left. The Magi had left and an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Take the child. For those who saw the child's life are dead. Excuse me. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's verse, verse 19 and 20. For search is going to be made for the child to destroy him. I want you to think about the emotions of Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary were here in this house and the Magi come presenting these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And as they were contemplating all of this, and you remember Luke says that Mary treasured certain things in her heart, but as they're contemplating this and trying to digest all that this means and all that this is saying, that very night, the angel of the Lord says, Herod is going to try to kill this child. Can you imagine the emotions and excitement and the heartbreak and the fear that is involved? And Joseph's obedience is quickly narrated in the same terms that are given in the command. In verse 14, get up. In verse In verse 13, get up, the command is. In verse 14, Joseph got up. He was told to take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And in verse 14, he took the child and his mother and he left for Egypt. His obedience is described in the same words as the command. And when God speaks through his angel or in any means, what else can we do? Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Travel by night can be filled with treachery even today. Can you imagine what it was like in that world with no street lights? But it was an urgent command. Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Egypt because Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And it said he remained there until the death of Herod. Then what was spoken by the prophet, by the Lord through the prophet was fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's very interesting That passage is from Hosea 11 and verse 1. Out of Egypt I have called my son. You look at that passage, and that passage doesn't talk about what was going to happen with Christ. It talks about what God has already done with Israel. He has delivered them out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son. But that is not without 
purpose. Herod saw he had been trained. I know how long it took him to come to that realization. But he realized that the Magi were not coming back. And they were not going to tell him where the Christ was. When he realizes this, he is enraged. And that is a term that can often describe the life of him. He's enraged. And he determines that he is going to kill all the male children in Bethlehem and its vicinity. From two years old and under. Did that event really happen? As far as we know from history outside the biblical text, there is no reference to this particular event. But everything that is reported here fits perfectly with what we know about Herod the Great. We talked last week about how Herod had three of his sons killed. He had his favorite wife killed. And he had several wives. But he had all of them killed because he became suspicious of them. And this one is not going to hesitate to wipe out all these children who could be viewed as a threat. And in light of all the atrocities that Herod performed, it would have been a small thing to call attention to this. Bethlehem was probably not much more than a thousand people. And you see, if you look into various commentaries, all kinds of estimates about how many children would have been killed. I saw estimates as low as six and as high as 3,000. But you think about a population of about a thousand. It's probably not going to be too many. But I want to be careful in saying that. Does that minimize the horror of having one of very soldiers come and rip? Your male child from your arms and kill it. I knew Christians. I know a Christian from another nation. Who basically experienced that same thing. And they've never gotten over it. And I wouldn't either. says all the field what was said through Jeremiah the prophet Rachel a voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning and Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted now that is a quotation From Jeremiah 31 verse 15. I want to say just a word about this before we look on 
in the text. Jeremiah 31 verse 15. The other night in a lesson, Luke talked about a calendar with different verses on it. How many of you have ever seen this verse on a calendar? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. You ever, you ever seen that verse on a calendar? I've seen that verse on all kinds of calendar. Do you know what's kind of deceptive about that on the calendar? That's probably the only positive statement made in Jeremiah 1 through 29. If you know Jeremiah 1 through 29, well, it is filled with gloom and doom. But that is not the case with Jeremiah 30 through 33. Jeremiah 30 through 33 is Jeremiah's book of comfort. His book of comfort. His book of consolation. And it's from Jeremiah 31 verse 15 that that Matthew quotes, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, the reason I wanted you to turn here, we already read that basically when we were reading Matthew. As you see people, Rachel, the the mother of, of, of Joseph and Benjamin, is viewed as weeping over her children who are going to go into captivity. But I want you to listen to verses 16 and 17 of Jeremiah 31. After Rachel is weeping for her children, thus says the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from tears, and your work shall be rewarded, declares the Lord, and they shall return from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall return to their own territory. In other words, this statement about Rachel weeping for her children and a voice is heard in Ramah is immediately followed by the statement, restrain your tears. It is a statement of mourning and grief, but it is in the midst of hope. It's in the midst of hope. I keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The Bible tells us As Joseph is with the child and his mother in the land of Egypt, Herod died. Herod died, by the way, we can pretty well establish this about 4 B.C. There's a mistake made in our calendar, so Jesus was probably born somewhere around 5 or 6 B.C. And the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph again. And he says, get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Again, Joseph gets up and does exactly what God told him to do. But he heard that Archelaus was reigning 
over Judea in place of his father. And so he doesn't stay in Judah. Apparently he was planning to stay in Bethlehem. But he hears of Archelaus and he moves to Galilee. And he is also warned by God in a dream of this, according to verse 22. And the Bible says this fulfilled words of the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. To say that Jesus dwelt in the land of Galilee because of how wicked Archelaus is, is not a statement about how good Antipas was, who reigned over Galilee. It is a statement of how wicked that Archelaus is. Now, I recognize, for those of you who are here, who are here every week, and we hope we have visitors with us, and we want to know you're welcome. And never feel uncomfortable, if you're a visitor, about what you don't know. Because we're trying to help you to know, and help you to learn. But I recognize that for many of you, you've heard this account all your life. Let me ask you, when you hear it, does it remind you of any other biblical stories? Does it call to mind any other events? Let me tell you one that it calls to my mind. And there arose a new Pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Jesus. And he said, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. And if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and they will leave our country. And let's make their lives bitter in oppression. And they began to oppress and enslave the people of Israel. But the more they oppressed them, the more they grew. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, for the Hebrew midwives and said if a child is born if a Hebrew child is born and if it's a boy kill it if it's a girl you can let it live but if it's a boy kill the child the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt commanded him so Pharaoh tries another measure he now addresses not the Hebrew midwives but he addresses his own people and he says, if a Hebrew boy is born, then you throw it in the river, the girl, let it live. And in this context, there was a boy born in the tribe of Levi, whose parents saw that he was a beautiful child. And what parent hasn't thought that about their child? But they saw this was a beautiful child. They maybe see that God has a purpose for this child. And the Bible tells us they hid him for three months. And when they couldn't hide him anymore, they put him in an ark, a chest. And you remember when we were going through that section of Exodus, we talked about the word that's used there in Exodus chapter 2 of where Moses was placed. It's only used there in Noah's ark in Genesis 6-9. But he's placed in this 
ark which calls for associations of God's protection and God's safety. And, and the Bible tells us that it's Pharaoh's daughter, the daughter of the man who made the decree to kill all the baby boys, to throw them all in the river. She is going out to bathe in the morning and she sees this basket and she sends one of the servants and the boy is crying. And she says, this is one of the Hebrew children. And the sister who has been watching and looking at this basket comes running up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, should I get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child? And she said, yes, go and tell her I will pay her her wages. And so she brings back the child's mother. And they called his name Moses. For he was taken out of water. This is the only association with Moses you see in this story. You also see other associations. For example, the statement in chapter 2 and verse 20 that Joseph is not to be afraid to go back into the land of Israel because those who sought the child's life are dead. You see that in Exodus 4, verse 19. As Moses was told, get up and go back to Egypt. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. What we have is we have a new Moses. And not only a new Moses... But remember we said in Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I called my son. In its original context refers back to the past and does not seem to point to the future. But it's demonstrating to us in quoting the passage that Jesus is the new Moses who's going to bring a new exodus. I cannot imagine, people, what it would have been like to be one of the Egyptians and to one of the Israelites who were beaten by the Egyptians, who were beaten and who were, uh, the, the text tells us in the book of Exodus that uh, they were beaten, they were oppressed. And then finally, to see the sea divide and to cross over on dry land and see the Egyptians who had inflicted such pain and horror uh, seeing them drown in this sea. I can't imagine the emotion that went into singing that song. The Lord is our strength and our song and He has become our salvation. And yet... God is preparing for us a greater Moses and a greater Exodus. A greater Moses. A greater Exodus. A greater deliverance. And just as Rachel weeping was told to restrain her tears in the context of Jeremiah 31. Just as God said that. So in a way we can be told. Because God is going to do another act of salvation comparable 
to bringing us out of captivity. Jesus' message will truly touch the world. You see that wise men from the east or magi from the east have come worshiping him. You see that other people, he has gone down to the land of Egypt. He has touched all the nations that surround Israel. But it is interesting too in the book of Exodus that Egypt is a place of oppression and slavery. And now it's a place of refuge. I have more to express. And some of this I have not expressed as well as I hoped. But let's get to this point that I want to stress about the overall impact of this passage. Why are we being told this? What difference does it make to us to know that there was an attempt to destroy Jesus by Herod and that he had to flee to Egypt. It is striking to me how the beginning of the book anticipates the end of the book. The beginning of the book of Matthew anticipates the end of the book. We have seen quite frequently that God spoke by dreams. He spoke in a dream to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child that has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He warned the Magi not to go back by the same way. Because Herod's intentions were not good. He warned Joseph, take the child and his mother and go to Egypt. And then he tells Joseph, bring back the child. Because all who saw his life are dead. And then he warns him not to settle in the land of Judea. But with all of these things that God reveals via dreams, do you know the only other time in the Gospel of Matthew, after we've been set up for this continually in the first couple of chapters, the only other time in the Gospel of Matthew, and by the way, in all the New Testament, where we specifically see God revealing something to somebody in a dream is in Matthew 27 in verse 19. It is in the context of the crucifixion of Christ. And the Bible tells us Pilate's wife sends him a message. It says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered much in a dream because of him. The opening of the book in God's revelation by dreams prepares for the end of the book where we're going to see Pilate's wife 
with that dream. Also, the phrase King of the Jews, as the Magi appeared from the east and said, Where is he who is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The next time that we will see that used in the book of Matthew is when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And he says, Are you the King of the Jews? That insult is hurled at him by the Roman soldiers in Matthew 27, verse 29. And in Matthew 27, verse 37, it is written above his head where a charge of the crime was often placed. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The opening of the book anticipates the end of the book. As there was great joy at the birth of Jesus, there will be great joy at the news of His resurrection. And as we see, weeping at the first of the book, because of the death of innocent children, We should be led to weep as we read the end of the book. At the death of one who is innocent. Let me ask you to turn with me to Revelation 12, 1 through 5. And listen to these words. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to His throne. Do you see how those words of Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, have been enacted in what we have seen today? The great dragon who is waiting to devour this man-child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Herod hears that he has been tricked, or he figures out that he has been tricked, and he determines to send and kill all male children in and around Bethlehem to make sure to eliminate this one who is king of the Jews. Have you ever done anything 
that somebody complimented you for your bravery? But you you, you didn't act in bravery. Because you were completely naive of the consequences. Maybe you do something, you say something that you think everybody believes and everybody shares. Only to find out it's not the case. What I'm saying. Not the way it is with Jesus. Something like that. And even in the act of coming into our world, Jesus was exercising great courage and great love. Jesus was being born into a world. Of wicked rulers like Herod who had no problem killing innocent people in order to secure his throne. And Jesus comes into our world not unaware, but fully recognizing that. You understand that what I'm about to say is not true literally, but you will understand the essence of it. That Jesus is running from his life before he can walk. And Jesus is in a witness protection program from the moment he's born. When I quote to you these next words, they are so vivid from my growing up. That I almost feel like I am sitting in the church where I grew up. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because he loved me so. He loved. He loved me so. He was born into a world of sin and evil and suffering. And he wasn't born there as you were. And I am. He was born fully aware of what world he was coming into. And what he would experience. But I want to tell you. I find great significance. In all of those Old Testament quotations. But at this point, especially. From Jeremiah 31 verse 15. A voice was heard in Raymond weeping. Rachel mourning for her children and weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted for the next two verses. 
emphasize, stop your tears. For your children will come back. We live in a world where Jesus was rejected and crucified. We live in a world where the innocent suffer. And God is so familiar with that. He experienced the same thing. But we do live in a world where evil does not have the final say. And just as these mothers are weeping because their children have been killed by Herod's soldiers, one day those tears will be turned to joy. Things will be changed. I love this statement by one writer about the resurrection. He said, the resurrection means that every horrible thing that has ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but in some way The eventual joy and glory will be greater because the horrible thing happened. Is that book, chapter, and verse? No. That's an observation from an uninspired writer. But one that I think must be true. All the weeping, all the mourning... All the people through human history that have shared in the grief of these mothers in Bethlehem will be transformed by the resurrection of this one who was crucified in his innocence. As we always say, and as is always true, the text is greater than our ability to relate it. Meditate. On these thoughts. And may the Lord bless you. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God. We are stunned. And in awe. As we recognize the love that you have for us. Shown not just in the death of Jesus. But in his birth. We are amazed. At your love that continues to seek us. In spite of our diligent efforts. To push you away. Forgive us. For our failures. Help us to be your people. Who walk in your ways. In Jesus we pray. Amen.